Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa alihi al-tahirin. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and welcome to this podcast series of a commentary on Nahj al-Balagha brought to you by Mizan Institute. فطر الخلائق بقدرته ونشر الرياح برحمته ووتد بالصخور ميدان أرضه. Continuing with uh, khutbah number one, as was explained before, in this khutbah, the first part of this khutbah, Imam Ali salam he speaks of God and his attributes, twelve attributes to be exact, twelve things the Imam has to say about Allah subhanahu wa taala, which we categorize into four groups. The first group was made of three characteristics of God that had to do with how we will practically never be able to live up to His haq on us, His right upon us. Uh, we will never be able to fulfill that which He deserves. Number one, that was the first group. The second group of traits of God or things that Imam Ali said about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they were two. That had to do with the fact that not only will we not be able to do justice when it comes to practically living up to what we're supposed to in regards to him. But even theoretically speaking, we will never be able to have a proper grasp of him, a proper understanding of him. And in in short, we won't be able to do justice to him when it comes to understanding him even. The third set and group of things that Imam Ali said about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had to do with the fact that, look, he's infinite. There's no way you can describe him. So if you are not able to understand him properly, like don't fret don't be too upset because it's just he's just too great not that you have you are the problem the problem is that you just don't have what it takes to be able to understand him properly and so there we had four things that imam ali said now finally after all of this after all of how imam ali keeps telling us that he is so great he's so infinite and all of that he gives us three examples of what allah has done when it comes to creation just to illustrate, just to scratch the surface a little bit and show us a, the tip of the iceberg, really, of the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is three aspects. One, the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He created from nothingness His creation. I'll talk about that. Number two, how Allah has spread and put into motion the winds out of His mercy. And finally, How Allah through the mountains has brought stability to the earth, to His earth, it says. And not allowing the earth to shake such that probably it would explode or something. So let's uh, begin with this first uh, trait or first thing that Imam Ali speaks about in this fourth group of characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It says, فَطَرَ الْخَلَائِقَ بِقُدْرَتِهِ this um, is kind of echoing the verse of the Qur'an that says فَاطِرِ samawati wal ard, which is uh, verse number 101 of Surah Yusuf or 100 of Surah Ibrahim, 35 of Surah Fatir and so on. So as you can see, Allah has referred to himself as Fatir in many places in the Qur'an. So what does فَاطِرِ samawati wal ard mean? فَاطَرَ الْخَلَائِقَ بِقُدْرَتِهِ Here in Nahj al-Balagha, this verb of فَاطَرَ in Arabic, when you use this verb, it means to slit something open. So why is this used for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What does it exactly mean? Couldn't it have just said, خَالِقُ wal ard 
or He created his creation through his power. But rather it says fatara. What does it mean to slip, split open or slit open? What is meant here that the Mufassirin will explain in the Quran, in Nahjul Balagha, they say that, look, when uh, when it says fatara, it doesn't mean just created. Because, look, there are different meanings and usages for creation. Sometimes you say, I created a work of art. What have you done? Have you really philosophically created something? No, creation philosophically does not mean to just put different pieces of something together to make something new. Creation philosophically does not mean that you, for example, take a big chunk of wood and you you turn it into a, a, a table. Yeah, what carpenters do. No, that's not creation. Creation doesn't mean that you take a big stone, chip away at it, and chisel away at it to come up with a statue. That's not creation. Creation doesn't mean that I add paint to a canvas to make a picture and then that's creation. True, we will use the term creation. That's his creation, we'll say. That's her creation. We'll, we'll use that term, but it's not being used accurately. That is one of the usages at the end of the day. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He creates, but not like the way we create. When we create, we're just actually assembling uh, you know, something with whatever is out there, changing the form and appearance of something. When I, for example, turn something on fire and it turns to ashes, those ashes are, the, are a different form of the same thing that I actually set fire to, you know? So if I smash something into smithereens, as they say, once again, like I haven't created anything here, I've just changed the form of something. Clay, I've made something out of clay, and so on and so forth. I think you get the idea of what I'm trying to get at here. So that's creation, but yeah, it's not, it, we won't, you, you won't use the word fatara for it. Fatara means to slit, slit something and to bring something forth, something out of that little slit that you've made. So when it refers to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the creator, here creation means that he as if slit open, tore apart the curtains of nothingness. Out of non-existence, he created existence. He brought existence into existence. And so this is something that others are not able to do. This is only, only and solely this belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the power to bring out as if existence from nothingness. That is something special. That is something different. That will require a lot of power. And so here the Imam, he says, Fatar al-Khala'iq, he created out of nothingness the creation, all of his creation, biqudratihi, with his power. So if in the previous segments of the sermon, the Imam is letting us know how great Allah is, how infinitely he is, and all of that, one of the reasons for that is this, the fact that when he creates, he creates from nothingness. The second um, attribute of God that the Imam mentions here has to do with the winds. Something of course that we as human beings we might take for granted, especially in the day and age that we live in today. In the past, the winds were everything. If you wanted to win a battle, you would have to figure out which way the wind is blowing. I mean, even today, you can kind of, it still will be the case. Today though, you know, it'll be about sports, for example. If you're playing football, soccer, things like that, you'll have to figure out which way the wind is blowing, you know. Even um, those of you who know how football works, like when you, they want to shoot field goals, what they'll do is 
they will show which way the wind is blowing. Even in video games now, when you're playing sports video games, um, it'll show you which way the wind is blowing, which is very interesting. So like, these all have an effect. Now these are just little examples here, but in the past, it was very important to know which way the wind blows. And uh, the ships in the sea, yes, the pollination of, um, of plants and fruits and all of that, all of these things had to do with the wind. Just the fact that um, the the weather gets better, better or the air gets cleaner has to do with winds. Like right now, some of these cities uh, that we have, for example, in Tehran, Tehran is surrounded by mountains. And so there's a lot of pollution there. Why? Because the, the mountains get in the way of the wind blowing to get rid of the pollution that's there. So the wind plays a major role in freshening up the air and making the weather better. The winds are that which play a major role in where it's going to rain and where it's not going to rain because the winds will be pushing the clouds towards different regions. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, He speaks of all these things in the Qur'an. And the Imam mentions that all of this has to do with the mercy of Allah. نَشَرَ الرِّيَاحَ بِرَحْمَتِهِ He spread out these winds and, and, put them, and, and put them in motion out of His mercy because he's supposed to take care of his creation. And so this will go back to this whole discussion of the Rahmaniyyah of Allah versus the Rahimiyyah of Allah. Rahmaniyyah being Rahman versus being Rahim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Rahman and Rahim as we see in Bismillah, in the line of Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Okay, he is both Rahman and Rahim. Here when the Imam says, Nashara ar-Riyaha bi-Rahmatihi, out of his mercy, he makes the winds blow. He puts them in motion. He spreads them out. And then he says, out of his mercy, it's what kind of mercy are we talking about here? Is it the mercy that has to do with him being Rahman or with him being Rahim? Let me explain this a little bit. Some of you might have heard this before. Because Rahman and Rahim, they go back to the same root as Rahmah, mercy. But there is a subtle difference between them. And that is that when we say Allah is Rahman, that means that His, now this is a term that is used, takwini, mercy, has to do with Him being Rahman. When we say Allah is Rahman, that means there is a type of mercy of His that is takwini, that will encompass all people in all creation. For example, when the winds blow in a certain direction, are those winds going to first ask, okay, I'm going to be blowing these clouds of rain towards these people. Are these people Muslim or Mu'min or not? It's not going to ask that. Allah is not going to deprive a people of, for example, the clouds or wind just because they're Muslim or non-Muslim. Okay? Yes, sometimes that might be the case. Sometimes as a punishment, for example, Allah will hold back on things, as the Qur'an tells us. But all in all, it's not like Allah has made haram on the disbelievers, the clouds or wind. No, wind and clouds and a lot of other things in this world of cause and effect that we live, a lot of other things too. Everyone will take benefit from, everyone will enjoy. Um, it's not like when a non-Muslim, for example, or not a disbeliever drinks water, they don't, their, their thirst is not quenched. No, that's not the case at all. Um, when a disbeliever drinks water, they will be quenched. When a believer drinks water, they will be quenched. All of this has to do with the mercy of Allah. But which mercy? 
the general all-encompassing mercy of Allah which makes him the Rahman but then there he is also Rahim which also means that he's merciful but what kind of mercy are we talking about here this is another type of mercy that is not like its predecessor not like the previous one we just discussed and it refers to the special guidance that Allah gives to those who believe in him, those who follow his path and are on the straight path. These people, in addition to the general blessings everyone is enjoying, everyone is benefiting from. For example, everyone's heart is beating, everyone has oxygen, everyone can drink water, everyone eats their food. In addition to all of that, there's a special rahmah, a special form of mercy that is only for the believers. And as a result of them being believers, and that has to do with the special guidance that Allah gives them. Here, when the Imam is saying that Allah has spread the winds through His mercy, it's referring to the first form that we talked about of His mercy, which is the one that is all-encompassing. The winds don't belong to a certain group of people. They belong to everyone. And so it is out of His mercy that He sends these winds so the verse of the Qur'an that this part of Nahj al-Balagha is echoing is Surah A'raf verse 57 because in the Qur'an it also says وَهُوَ الَّذِي يُرْسِلُ الرِّيَاحَ بُشْرَى بَيْنَ يَدَيْ رَحْمَتِهِ That it is he who sends the winds as glad tidings بَيْنَ يَدَيْ رَحْمَتِهِ بَيْنَ يَدَيْ رَحْمَتِهِ means before his mercy In other words it's coming, it's accompanied with his mercy these winds that uh, are coming. Okay, so as you can see, like the Imam here, these different things he's saying about the creation of Allah, they are, he, he has kind of taken inspiration from the Quran. These are in the Quran as well. So this second one, the winds that we were talking about, the winds are something very hard to manage. Very hard to manage. Number one, even getting, putting wind in motion is something very difficult. And right now today, like we don't have the technology for it to make the winds that um, are naturally occurring. Yes, we might be able to, you know, generate something like that, but like nothing close to the actual winds. And so they'll put these big turbines in windy areas that will catch that wind and, you know, use the energy that is produced from those winds. If they didn't need to do that, they wouldn't. They would just make their own wind, you know. It just shows that there is a greater source of energy that is that is needed to generate such winds. Alright, so this also shows the greatness of Allah. So number one, the fact that He brings from nothingness something, that is the biggest of them all. But also the fact that He manages these winds out of His mercy, that also shows how great He is. So if you can't get a grasp of Him, if you can't live up to what you're supposed to and what He deserves, it's because He's so great. And these are signs of His greatness when we look in His creation. Alright, let's move on to the third one now. And he stabilized or made firm with the mountains, Sukhur. Of course, Sukhur means like great big boulders, but in this context it's talking about the mountains. Mayadana Arde stabilized the shaking of his earth. It didn't it seems like if there were no it's saying that there, if there were no mountains, there would be some very crazy shaking that the earth would undergo. And this also we have something similar in the Quran in regards to it. It says, Wa alqa fil ardi rawasiya 
an tamida bikum. This is Suratul Nahl, verse 15, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has cast in the earth mountains so that you are not shaken. All right, so let's talk about this a little bit. Mountains are very underrated, brothers and sisters. Mountains, now here the Quran is telling us and the Najjal Balagha is telling us that, look, if there were no mountains, like the earth would just explode. Because this is my take on it. I don't know how scientific this is, but this is my take on it. Just like when you go to um, a tire shop to balance your wheels, okay, or a repair shop, wherever you go, the mechanic, to balance your wheels. What do they do? They'll put it on this little machine that spins the wheel very fast and then it's able to pick up where there are imbalances on that tire, on that wheel. And so wherever there are imbalances, they'll take these little weights and hammer them into the wheel. And so by doing this, they're kind of balancing that tire. I personally, I might have read this somewhere in uh, Islamic literature, like the works of our scholars, but um, all in all, or it just might be my own understanding or my own example that I've thought of, that it's like balancing a tire. You will have to, at the end of the day, you'll have to add certain extra weight to certain parts of the tire or, or the wheel so that it's balanced. So that when it's spinning at high speeds, it doesn't just unravel and just explode. Um, here also, it seems it's something like that, I want to say. Once again, I'm no scientist, I'm no expert. This is just how I see it. When I, when I read that verse of the Qur'an, it always reminds me of balancing tires. Alright, so enough of the tire talk. Let's get back to the mountains. These mountains, I believe, are very underrated. Because they are holding, it seems, the earth in place. If they weren't there, the earth wouldn't be able to keep its composure, so to speak. It would just explode as if. Now, I'm going to share with you some facts here that I found online. You can all Google it as well, just like why mountains are so important. I just want to share some with you. Save that time of yours of Googling it. Um, just to show how we have this idea and notion, even science has spoken about it, how important the mountains are. And of course, some of you probably, are, probably already know all of this anyway. But I'll just read a few excerpts from what I found online. It says that if it weren't for mountains, our planet might be an orbiting husk. That's the finding of a new paper in the Journal of Such and Such, which suggests mountains act as elevators for minerals deep in the earth that may play a crucial role in stabilizing the atmosphere. Wow. So not just the earth, the atmosphere. Another excerpt somewhere else. The most important point is that mountains have roots that extend downward into the mantle beneath a mountain range, and that the roots are in general about 5.6 times deeper than the height of the range. To have a world with no mountains occur naturally, there must be no plate tectonics. So in other words, if you want a world with no mountains, there should be no plate tectonics. To have no plate tectonics, there must either be no moon or the moon must be tidally locked to prevent its gravitational influence causing heat producing deformation of the world. A consequence of this is that there would be no earthquakes and erosion would eventually level land and sea floor alike until it was eventually all in equal depth beneath the water, aside from small solar tides. There would be no geomagnetic field that may be caused by the same processes as plate tectonics, which would allow higher radiation levels at the surface. Okay, so that's like some real technical talk there. If Earth's mountains were magically instantly removed, there would be immediate repercussions. 
all that stone has mass, and the crust beneath which had been pressed into the mantle would rebound, causing worldwide earthquakes. Volcanoes would erupt as their plugs of stone were removed or weakened. All of this not, is not considering the effects on the global weather patterns. Wow, so even that. I mean, that's something, that's a given. Uh, the weather will lots of times depend on mountains and mount, how, how mountainous a region is. In the long term, mountains would reappear as plate tectonics continued to deform the landscape. So in the end, it has to come back anyway. But like, so this is just an example of how important mountains are. There's, a, there's probably a ton more of what has been said about this. Now, two more little points I want to make here. Number one, when you do a little bit of research into this, you'll find that some atheists are dismissing the benefit of mountains. And personally, when I read up on that a little bit, I notice that it just seems that they're doing that because scripture might have made mention of how much of a blessing mountains are and namely the quran when i say scripture it's interesting what i saw what i saw was that atheists were attacking the quran because i'm not sure and i doubt that the bible for example mentions mountains as a blessing from god i might be mistaken on this i haven't looked into it but i don't remember this ever ever coming across something like this in scripture other than the quran so it's, it's interesting how they are questioning the Qur'an's veracity here when it makes a claim like this, when it says that these mountains are there for this type of purpose. So there, it seems that they are actually questioning it, not f from a scientific perspective or that they, are, they have scientific interests here. It's more that they're just trying to disprove the Qur'an. So they are turning away from whatever science has, might... At, say as a theory not necessarily facts yet but at least theories of science in regards to the mountains but personally i believe that no i mean mountains for sure they play a major role in the natural world that's one point i wanted to make another point i want to make is this that okay this is a scientific thing the quran is talking about or imam ali and nahj al-balagh is, is speaking about all in all these are things that you will find the quran speaking of but we have to understand that we're not going to put all of our focus on the scientific aspect of the Qur'an. In other words, whatever science that the Qur'an or other literature that we have has pointed out. We will, I mean, write books on these even, but we have to be very careful, okay? Because, yes, the Qur'an will speak of certain things, but there are things that we have not come to definitive conclusions scientifically. And then if we want to impose those things onto the Qur'an and say, yeah, like when the Qur'an speaks of this, it's talking about the Big Bang Theory. If when it talks of that, it's talking about evolution or this and that. If we try to do that and impose certain theories onto the Qur'an, then what if those theories change? All of a sudden, the, the proof that we had for the legitimacy of the Qur'an and the miraculousness of the Qur'an all of a sudden is questioned. So even if we're going to get scientific with the Qur'an, I think we need to keep it to the basics, to those things that we are 100% sure about, or else it might come and backfire on us. For example, the fetus and the different stages of, embryo, uh, of the development of the embryo. Like these are things that, okay, we are kind of set in stone now, and then we can now go with a clear mind and without having to worry that it will be disproven later, go and see like what the Qur'an says in this regard. Yes, that embryonic development is something that scientists have spoken about even with the Qur'an and have said like this Qur'an is really spot on and is on point here when it talks about the development of the embryo, the fetus and so on. Things like that. So I, all I'm trying to say is if we are going to go towards the science of the Qur'an, that's perfectly fine. We just have to be careful that we 
are able to discern between those things that are still theories versus those things that are facts now set in stone that even we know that even a thousand years from now are not going to change. Okay, so that concludes the first section of this sermon of Nahjul Balagha, the first sermon of Nahjul Balagha, in which Imam Ali, he is pointing out 12 things in regards to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so he began with letting us know that practically we're not going to be able to do what we need to do when it comes to Allah. Theoretically speaking and intellectually even, we won't be able to give, do justice there when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The third set, let us know why we won't be able to do justice theoretically because He's infinite. And then finally, to wrap it all up, He gave us a taste of how great Allah is through pointing out three things that Allah has done when it comes to creation. Now that these 12 are done, the Imam moves on into some theology, let's call it into very short, concise lines that he has in regards to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and understanding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, letting us know how great he is. And those lines are lines that our theologians have explained and discussed thoroughly. We'll talk about that inshallah in our next episode. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you.